Uh, anyone else in favor of taking the baptisms on the road to somewhere a little warmer than here? Anyone? You know, uh, like perhaps that place or wherever that represents. Uh, you know, like there are, there, there's places in the world right now that are warm um, and like warm year round. Uh, and in a world where those places exist, we all live in a place where the, word, the words polar vortex are part of our weather forecast. Polar vortex is an intense, um, intense word. Like, it shouldn't hurt to breathe outside. My skin shouldn't be damaged from walking from the front door to the car. Uh, but here we are. And I, I will say, even this weekend, in this weather, if I could pick anywhere in the world to live, I still pick Calgary. Because I love this city. I love this city so much. Um, it's a great place even when it's cold. Uh, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about how do we have a faith that lasts and sustains us outside of the walls of this place. Last week, we talked about how merely showing up here doesn't guarantee that we have a vibrant, formative relationship with Jesus any more than being in the saddle dome makes you a Calgary flame. We talked about the importance of having practices and a faith that can actually shape us in our relationship with Jesus. Last week was about practices. Today, we make it personal. Personal. Right at the heart of who we are. How do we have a faith at the core of who we are? So if I were to sit down with you around a table, maybe some friends there, and I were just to ask, how do you start following Jesus? How do you follow Jesus in the most personal parts of who you are? How would you answer? What would you say? I don't presume for a moment that everyone in the room here has decided to follow Jesus. So maybe you're like, ah, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm curious. How do you start following Jesus? What does that even mean? What does that entail? Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. Someone just dragged me or it's warm. Well, if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. No one's more glad that you're here than me. And it's a good weekend. You can hear how do you start following Jesus and why that matters. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. And, 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 and part of the challenge when we do follow Jesus for a long time is we can sometimes add things into the equation that can actually distract us from what the beginning of following Jesus looks like. Or we can forget what following Jesus means at its inception. It's a new year, new opportunities, new highs, new lows, new averages, which seems to often get overlooked, right? No one's ever like, yeah, faith for the average days. But we're going to have a lot of average days. How do we have a faith that's personal? How do we follow Jesus in and through everything that this year has? How can we make it personal? Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 16. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now maybe you're here and you're like, oh yeah, Kyle, I know that passage. I got that. I, got, I, I know those verses. Heard that song, read that book, know how that story and, and you may be tempted because of that to check out. Uh, but as well known as that passage is, for so many of us, I wonder if we really truly get what it means at the core of who we are. I wonder if I 
really truly get what it means at the core. So we can hear a passage, we can read a passage and, and understand, and we can know what it means, but we can also engage with a passage and hear from the word, the words and scriptures and encounter the God behind them in a way that changes everything. Not just to hear some words, but to hear from God. Here's a, an example of what I mean by that. A long while ago, I was preaching, and after the message, I got an email from someone. And uh, the email basically went, hey, Kyle, I really liked the ending, and I really liked the beginning. I liked when you said, hello, church, and I liked when you said, bless you, church. Everything in between there was hot garbage. Uh, didn't agree with the thing you said. Uh, thought it was really bad. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and so we talked and whatever. Um, and then several months later, I was backstage, and I was talking to someone uh, who's become a friend. And, and, and as we're backstage talking right before his baptism, uh, like, tell me the story. And he just started to get emotional. And he's like, I met Jesus. And it changed everything. And I'm getting baptized because I know Jesus. And, and we started talking, and as he was talking to me, he met Jesus in the very same message that that other person thought was just absolute hot garbage, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Uh, and, and you know what? The guy who emailed me may have been right. Maybe it was not great. Like, that's totally possible. And yet it was still that same message in the same words that someone absolutely met Jesus in a way that changed everything. Because it's only by the grace of the Lord that we hear from him. And my sincerest, deepest, truest hope is that in our time together today, we don't just hear these words, but we encounter the God behind them. And that for each and every one of us, we open ourselves up to hear from Jesus himself. Because I believe he wants to speak to all of us. Would you listen for God's heart for you today and what he might have for you? Because the hope is not just to hear something interesting and new about Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. The hope is that we encounter Jesus today. How do we start following him? Again, we read, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple first must deny themselves. Take up the cross, follow me. First thing Jesus says is you must deny yourselves. You know, how often when we, when we think about what does it mean to start following Jesus, do we almost instinctively start talking about the things that we should do? Start reading your Bible, start praying, start coming to church, start to join a small group, start doing this, start doing this, start doing this, or whatever your particular spiritual passion project is, do that. How often is that where we go when it's like, this is what it takes to follow Jesus? You start with this. Read these words. Pray every day. You'll grow. Is that really it? Is that the starting point? Is that the beginning? Because Jesus says here, the very first thing, if you want to be my disciple, it means denying yourself. Now, lots of people, when they start talking, and well-intended people, when they start talking about this idea of denying yourself, they, they, they interpret it to mean that to follow Jesus means you say no to everything that's fun. 
Stop doing that and that and that and that and that. Take a vow of poverty, give everything away. If you like it, you can't have it. Deny all these things. Deny yourself everything and start doing all these other things. But I want to suggest to each and to every one of us that Jesus' teaching here isn't primarily about lifestyle or choices. It's about your heart. When Jesus says deny yourself, he really means don't see yourself as the center authority of the universe. Deny yourself as the ultimate authority of your life. To deny yourself means disowning or disregarding or even disassociating from any claim that puts you on the throne of the universe. That puts you as the God of your life. It also means to deny yourself. To deny yourself also means to understand that there's nothing you can do to change your heart, your life, your world. Deny yourself from this claim of being the divinity of your world. Let go of the entitlement we all have to control our agendas because the more we try and control our lives, our agendas, our world, the less it works for us. And if we're talking about how to follow Jesus, how to make it personal for our own lives, it has far less to do with what we do in our calendars and far more to do with our heart posture. That is it to say, to deny yourself means to surrender. Surrender. Now, if you're anything like me, the moment you hear surrender, your heart starts to go like a little bit quicker because you start thinking, well, what if it means this? What if it means this? What about that? The starting point of surrender has far less to do with those things the fruit of our lives, and far more to do with the root of our lives, but our very heart. In our world, surrender is often seen as losing or weakness, but Jesus says surrender is the very beginning of discovering life. In other words, when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, the first thing you need to do is you just need to give up. Give up trying to be the God of your world. Give up trying to find peace on your own terms. Give up trying to attain and earn what you're looking for. Just give up control. Give up trying to save yourself. Give up trying to change your, own, your heart's affections. Give up. In another place, when Jesus is talking about similar things, he says, are you tired? Are you weary? Eugene Peterson translated, are you burnt out of religion on religion? Are you fatigued? Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Are you tired, church? Are you weary? Are you exhausted? Jesus says, come to me. Give up trying. I've got what you're looking for. Surrender and trust. 
I love this picture of how this works out. It's found in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And Jesus and his disciples, they were on the road. They were traveling and they go and they hang out with some of Jesus' best friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, who's got quite the testimony. And um, while they're at this house, Jesus is sitting down and we're told that Martha was distracted by all the things that needed to be done. Martha was like, getting all these things done, all the preparations, and her sister Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And eventually Martha was fed up. It's like, Jesus, there's a lot of stuff that needs to get done. Can you tell my sister to come and help me out a little bit here? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things, but only one thing is needed Mary's chosen what's better, and it won't be taken from her. And Mary chose to just sit at the feet of Jesus and receive from him. Perhaps you could sum this moment up by saying Jesus was far more interested in Mary's presence with a C than Martha's presence with a T. Jesus is far more interested in your presence, to sit with him, to be with him, to receive from him. It's the only thing that's needed. It's better than anything else you could choose to do. Just sit at his feet. When was the last time you just sat in Jesus' presence and just said, here I am? We can be little worker bees trying and trying and trying and trying and it doesn't really get us anywhere. And she's like, no, 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 just sit with me. I love you. Just join me here. Relax. That's the starting point. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you weary? Are you always looking but never finding? Just stop. Be with Jesus. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Oh, but how strong are those last words? But you would have none of it. Would you have any of it today? In repentance and rest and quietness and trust and surrender is salvation. Would you have any of that today? To be with Jesus, the starting point is resting. I believe the hardest thing we can do in this world is to give up, is to surrender. It's always been hard when Jesus was saying to his followers, to the disciples, to the world in this moment, Matthew chapter 16, for the first time when he says, deny yourself and follow me. Like that was a bold statement for them. It costs a lot for them. It costs a lot for us today too. It's uniquely hard for us in this day and in this age because we all live in a world that is fundamentally immersed in a pull yourself up by the bootstraps, meritocracy, work hard world and don't be denied a thing, right? Like that's the world we live in. You know, I was laughing with some friends, uh, some colleagues this week. We had our staff meeting and we're sitting around the table and we're talking and, and we're like, remember when you were younger and if you wanted to watch TV, there's like two channels, 
And like, I'm the oldest, which meant I could get my younger brother or sister to like hold the antenna so we could actually get those two channels, right? You wanted, like, that was it. You wanted to watch your favorite cartoon. You had to like wake up at a certain time to watch Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever it was nice and early. And if you wanted to like not miss it, you had to plan when you'd have your breakfast, when you'd drink your waters, because the TV wasn't waiting. You couldn't pause it. Remember that? You went to your grandparents' house, wanted to watch a movie. They had like two options. It was like Sound of Music or like Beethoven or something, right? Like, oh, we'll watch that for the 18th time, I guess, right? Those were the options. There were so many constraints. Nowadays, to be denied luxurious, luxurious conveniences is like an indignity to our humanity. Nobody's saying no to anything. We can watch what we want, when we want, where we want, on the device we want, in the room we want. Done or food. We, we can eat what we want, where we want, when we want, done. Oh, and I don't want to leave the house at any point. I want someone to bring it to me. Check, done. To be denied feels like an indignity. And in a world where most of us can get what we want in the ways we want it, Jesus is saying, you have that gift and that capacity and that freedom, but if you want to be my disciple... You're going to surrender. Deny yourself the claim of the ultimate authority. That's the starting point. Surrender. It's good news. It's costly, but it's good news. It means just stop trying. Trust Jesus. From there, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So Jesus moves from surrender to saying, anyone who wants to be my follower takes up their cross. Now that passage is well known for, for, for many of us, whether you know it from this verse or you know that, well, that's just my cross to bear, kind of cliche that all kinds of people say. For how well known that is, we really don't get what this means on a deeper level, what this means for us and for our lives. Like how often we hear someone say, you know, like this minor inconvenience, well, that's just my cross to bear. That colleague, well, they're just my cross to bear, putting up with them day after day. It's like, yeah, well, you're probably theirs too. (laughs) This one out of 10 inconvenience is just my cross to bear. And that's not what this passage is talking about. This is not talking about the circumstances and situations in our lives that might be inconveniencing us or difficult. It's not even just talking about general suffering We all know Christians aren't the only ones who suffer. We don't have a monopoly on difficulty. Popular usage of this phrase has so sanitized the call of what Jesus is extending to each of us that we can miss it. We've become so accustomed to the idea and the image of the cross that we can actually negate ourselves from reimagining what that means in our day and what it means for each of our lives. Our hardships aren't necessarily our cross to bear. Jesus is teaching us there is a destination to the denying of ourselves. It's not just saying no to all these things. It is surrendering, and then there is a destination to the denial, and it leads to the cross. And what is talked about here is the radical surrender of our lives and being united with Jesus. 
This is more than just mere inconvenience or difficulty. This is the radical and fundamental march of death to self, life in Christ. N.T. Wright in his great book, Simply Jesus, uh, he talks about this moment in time when Jesus was on earth, Matthew chapter 16, and he talks about it as the time where the storm was brewing. And in his accent, it just sounds so magisterial when he says it. The time when the storm was brewing, there were political factors, there were religious factors, there were social factors, there were ethical issues, and there was sin. And all of these things were brewing, and they formed a multifaceted, ugly, ugly storm. And Jesus was talking to a group of people that were in the midst of this storm brewing, a group of people that were living under oppression in, occupied, in an occupied land. A bullied people, a harassed people, a hurting people, a people looking for hope in a dark place. People that were like, it surely has to be better than this. He was talking to an exhausted people, people that kept on trying to find liberation and freedom and hope and peace and, and, and to people that were just searching and searching and searching. And Jesus saying, no, 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 t- deny, give up trying. Take up your cross. Jesus was talking to the people in power, to the oppressors, to the aggressors, to the ones who were causing the, the, the poverty of other people. And to each and to all, Jesus was saying, if you want to be my disciple, the starting point is not by doing something, but by surrendering. And after that, you take up your cross. And by the way, when Jesus here mentions take up your cross, the disciples had no idea that that's how Jesus was going to die. Like they had no idea that that's what was going to be coming in a couple of days, weeks, months later. They would not have read or heard anything mystical when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. They would have just heard, that's an execution instrument. This wasn't just jewelry for them. This was an instrument of death. I I was thinking about this this week, what that must have been like for them. You know, could you imagine if a first century Roman or first century citizen in Israel, you know, they're on their chariot going northbound deerfoot, would have been really cold in their toga right now, but they're going northbound on deerfoot and they pass our building and they see that big cross. They would have been like, that's a really big building for killing people. It would have been so odd for them. They would have had no, like, why do they have a cross up tall? And if they walked in here, they'd be like, why, did, why is there a cross up high? Like, we know why it's there. It's there because anything that ever happens on this stage is under the authority of Jesus Christ the King. But to anyone in Matthew 16, they'd be like, what is going on? Why do they have An instrument of death lifted high. Could you imagine if you're driving by a really big building and and the thing at the top of it is an electric chair? Like it's repugnant to even think that way. And yet that's the reality. They would have been like, why are you telling us to pick up our instrument of death? That's uncomfortable. What's the deal? How did the cross turn from a grotesquely provocative reality to like a popular common tattoo design? To jewelry? 
to home decor. How did that happen? It happened because Jesus stepped into the center of the storm and took the full fury of that storm upon himself. Jesus took the absolute fury of the political, religious, historical, ethical, sin-filled storm upon himself in totality. And he was brought to life by the power of God on the other side of that storm. And in that moment, the cross was transformed from a murdering brutality to a mark of beauty that we lift up and worship under. If Jesus never stepped into that storm, if Jesus never took that upon himself, if Jesus was never resurrected on the other side of death, this command, this call is useless. If not for that moment on the cross with Jesus and the resurrection, none of us would be here. None of us would have ever heard these words. But because Jesus went through this, surrendered himself, gave himself up, by the power of God was resurrected, we're here under the cross. And the one who stepped into the center of the storm, came out the other side, has now invited each and every one of us to follow him and promises us life as we follow him. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves first and then take up their cross second And third, follow me. Follow me. We can get so easily obsessed or concerned with tomorrow or later today or next week, next month, or next year that we can actually forget that we're just truly following a person step by step. We get concerned for all the things down the road and yet Jesus is concerned for you right now, in this moment. Jesus is concerned for you. And he's inviting you right now in this moment, right now, say, come, follow me. It's like tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Let's just start today. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. What? I will rejoice and be glad in it. In the day, stay in the day. Perhaps that's why the psalmist says the Bible, his God's word is, is a lamp for our feet. One step at a time, because he is concerned for us to follow him day by day. It's not so much about doing, doing, doing. It's about surrender, taking up our cross, and simply following Jesus. So hear this well. We don't follow a plan. We don't follow a preacher. We don't follow a podcaster, a program. We don't follow a politician. We don't follow a a, a pastor. We follow a person, and his name is Jesus. We follow Jesus step by step. Day by day, we follow Jesus. And in a world where there's a whole lot of things saying, follow me, I got it, I got it, I got it, follow. You say, no, 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 no. Just deny yourselves and just follow me. Trust me. But if we just take a step back from this and just look at this order, Jesus says you have to give up before you get going. And that order is really, really important. Because so often, religion will say you have to follow before you actually give up. 
So take, take up your cross before you actually surrender. Get going before you actually get to the end of yourself. You know, do this, do this, look like this, stop this, practice this before you ever even actually give up. Religion will say, you know, walk, talk, act like Jesus before you ever come to the end of yourself, surrender and sit at his feet and receive his love. The order here is important. And I promise you, if we're not careful on this order, that surrender and just sitting at the feet of Jesus, if that doesn't come first and we start jumping ahead to the follow, I promise we are just shifting one performance-based identity for another. We have to start with surrender, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to rest and receive from him. Because if we don't do that, we will never properly follow him. Because we're trying to get something. Or, Jesus is like, no, 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 you just need to follow me. Once we surrender, we receive a whole new way of living. The old's done away with, and we follow Jesus but we have to give up before we ever get going. But I promise, once we come to the end of ourselves and surrender, once you know him, once you know Jesus, his presence, his love, once you have taken up in repentance and rest and quietness and trust, once you know how true the words are, and when, when God's word says, you know, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Once you know the depth of his love, the, the personal care that he has for you. Once you know that it's Jesus himself who says, follow me, you'll go anywhere he goes. Once you know him, once you have sat at his feet, Following him is a joy and a delight. I've read the beginning of this passage in Matthew 16 four different times now. And Jesus starts it off by saying, if anyone wants to become my disciple. That's the starting point. If anyone wants to become my disciple. And for us sitting here today, like right now in this moment, I think it's a fair question to ask, why would any of us want to become his disciple? Why? It sounds costly. Surrender, give up. It sounds uncomfortable. It sounds difficult. In this day, in this age, why would I want to be his disciple? What's the point? Maybe you've been following for a long, long time and it's just a good reminder, like why on earth would I want to start again with surrender? To do that, I want to look at the very next verse, verse 25. It's one of the most audacious claims the Bible has. It says this, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The only place where abundant, vibrant, true, beautiful, free, peace-filled life is found is in Jesus. At the absolute center of a theology of life is this paradox that we can only guarantee vitality and vibrancy in life if we surrender our lives. This promise is huge. 
And if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you have staked your very life on this. I have bet my life, I've wagered my life on the truth of this, that by surrendering my life, I will find life in Jesus. It's a huge claim. It's an audacious claim. But I'm here to say to each and to every one of you that the life you're longing for is on the other side of surrender. The life you're looking for is on the other side of surrender. There's this wild moment right near the end of Jesus' time on earth. He's in the garden with his friends. He's hanging out with them. He's praying. He knows the end of his time is coming. He knows that it's about time for him to become king through his surrender. One of his friends comes with an army and betrays Jesus. And an army comes and they try to arrest Jesus. And as the army is descending on Jesus, another one of Jesus' friends, his name is Peter, he grabs a sword and he just takes a swing. And he cuts someone's ear off. Jesus heals the man, touches him, heals him. He says, no, 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 Peter, that, that's not how this works. A few short hours later, the guy with the sword, Peter, is around a campfire. And so people are like, hey, don't you know Jesus? He's like, no, I don't know him. I'm just here to stay warm. I have no idea who Jesus is. And we see the reality that Peter was willing to fight for Jesus, but he wasn't really willing to surrender for Jesus. He was willing to do something to try and interject, but he wasn't willing to surrender. And I think this moment can speak to all of us as well. When it's time for Jesus to become king, sometimes we want to try and do something, fight something, contribute something. And Jesus is like, that's not how this works. This works by surrender, by laying down your instruments of attaining and trusting me. We're not all that willing to simply surrender our lives or our agendas or our plans or our sense of how things should be done or our philosophy or our ideologies. And yet Jesus is saying, laying those things down is how this all works. And because Jesus is the king who stepped into the center of the storm on behalf of all of us and rose again three days later, he has the authority to say to each and to every one of us, the life you're looking for is on the other side of your surrender. He's the king on the throne of all reality. I think it's fair to say in our world right now as we look around that we all want a kingdom of joy and peace and life everlasting, but we don't really want a king. And for those that are like, ah, I'm okay with the king. You only want that king to embrace the policies and the things you already believe. Speak against the things you already disagree with. We live in a world where we want someone to come and to save our souls, but not to order our lives. We want comfort. We want it now, but we want it on our terms. We live in a world that's absolutely unfamiliar with self-denial and surrender. We live also in a world that is desperately looking and longing for something that they've never found. 
We know our, like our world offers surface level solutions. There's a lot of joys that could scratch the surface. There's a lot of things that can, that can move the dial for us, but nothing other than Jesus can touch the deepest part of your soul. Nothing. That happens by surrender, by trusting. Maybe there are things that Jesus is inviting you to surrender. Some choices, some agenda, some plan, some area of morality or ethics. Maybe. But what God is most interested in is your life, your heart. He wants you to come and experience the joy of sitting at his feet and receiving the love that he wants to lavish upon you. Because he loves you. Surrender may sound really, really scary right now. But I promise you there is nothing you could surrender that God won't replace with more of him. There's nothing you could give up that he won't meet you on the other side of. It might hurt. It might be costly. It may be challenging. Oh, good. Like I have had to surrender some really, really scary things. I know so well what it feels like to live in a way where you are on the edge of a cliff and you know Jesus is saying, jump. Jump. I got you, but jump. Like, well, I need to know what it looks like. He's like, no, 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 no. You just jump. You surrender. You trust me. You jump. It took me years for this one. It was hard and costly. But there is nothing you could surrender where Jesus won't meet you on the other side with more of him. Nothing. In a work hard, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, meritocracy, unconstrained world, the life we are all longing for is on the other side of surrender. So at the start of a new year, to make it personal, can I invite every single one of us to deny ourselves to give up trying to surrender to Jesus again, afresh, anew. I know that's one of the scariest invitations that could ever be extended, but I also know in nearly 2,000 years of people trusting Jesus and surrendering in him, there is a 100% rate of people who have surrendered and been glad they did when it comes to trusting Jesus. There has never been a person who has surrendered 100% to Jesus that has regretted it. There has never been a person who has surrendered to Jesus and been like, oh, that's it. Because he loves us. There's nothing we could lay down that he won't replace with more of him. Every person that has ever surrendered has discovered Jesus and his grace on the other side. Everyone. He is utterly trustworthy are you tired are you weary are you burnt out and fatigued are you always looking and never finding surrender give up rest just like you can't learn to swim unless you take the risk of lifting your foot off the bottom of the pool, you cannot find the life you're looking for unless you take the faith-filled risk of 
of surrender and jumping and trusting Jesus. And church, I promise you this. If Jesus is inviting you to surrender right now, he has you. I promise. I don't know what that surrender may entail. I don't know what that might look like or mean, but I promise you it's worth it. Life everlasting comes for those who surrender to Jesus. We were all created to be surrendered people. The life you're longing for is on the other side of your surrender. Will you trust Jesus today?